You're listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast for Friday, June the 23rd. And I am uh, exceptionally pleased to announce that the Jays will not reach 500 tonight. Maybe we'll have that great fortune tomorrow. But last night, obviously disappointing for fans of the team. I had several followers reach out and ask me why I didn't have a podcast, whether it had something to do with the fact that maybe I would rant a little bit too much in lieu of their almost embarrassing. No, it was embarrassing. 11-4 to loss to the... Uh, they split the series and one that they potentially could have won themselves had not their pitchers, their starters in particular, average uh, about five innings per game, giving up roughly five to six innings per game. It was not a great experience down in Texas, but now we're in Kansas City, and the team tonight is sending out Jay Happ, who continues his kind of reclamation year after um, coming off the disabled list. He's going to be facing Jake Junis, who struggled this year, so there's definitely an opportunity for Toronto to jump out of the gate and try to win this series before coming home and entering the next stage of July baseball, which we all know is fraught with great, great peril. I think the most disappointing thing for many fans of the Toronto Blue Jays over last uh, night's demoralizing loss was that this was now the ninth attempt to try and reach the 500 mark. And once again, it was one in which they simply could not compete with their opposition, and it's been a variety of teams. It hasn't just been teams over 500. It's been teams that aren't even expected to challenge by the time we get to August. So there's no question that John Gibbons and and the management group are are definitely concerned. Now, how concerned they are, it's all a matter of perspective when you've got, you know, over 90 games left in the regular season. But at some point, what I'm hearing quite a bit, whether it's on the Fan 590 or whether it's on TSN or whether it's on Tim and Sid, it seems to me that people are starting to question whether or not this team really is comprised of elements that want to win. The issue has become, is this team good enough to compete with some of the best teams in baseball? And in the wildly flailing accordion that is the American League East this year, we haven't answered that question. And we don't really know yet which team is going to differentiate itself. But one thing is for certain, that if the Toronto Blue Jays continue to play this way, And now we're looking at, say, the August and September dog days. It's going to be the kind of season that most fans will remember for all the wrong reasons. My first guest on tonight's show is an acclaimed writer and sportscaster. He's covered the Blue Jays and Major League Baseball for the Sports Network and is the host of the Scott MacArthur Show on TSN 1050 Radio from 1 to 4 p.m. on Mondays to Friday. Scott MacArthur is on the line. Scott, thanks for dropping by. Great to be here, Ari. How are you? I'm doing well, and for the record, that is officially the longest guest introduction I've done yet. Now, granted, the show is not so old, but <clears throat> oh, I, I appreciate I appreciate it. I I needed I needed a reminder of some of the things I've done, so uh, so that's good. <laughs> Thanks. Fantastic. I, I can get that automated, so we'll have it like maybe, maybe <laughs> that'll be my ringtone. We'll, we'll have it as a ringtone or a wave file. Um, Scott, <laughs> I'm really glad that you're on the show because uh, I know your passion thirst and knowledge of all things blues in baseball. Many fans of this team right now and listeners to my program are struggling with what is clearly turning into a, a legitimate love-hate relationship with their, their local Major League Baseball team. These Blue Jays are creating what is literally a, a kind of up-and-down cyclical 24-hour experience of different ranges of emotions, some good, some bad, mostly commiserating in the frustrations of why they can't get to 500. 
Why do you think this particular team is having this type of trouble? And are you surprised that people are just completely being bent out of sorts emotionally when it comes to the way they're playing baseball this year? Well, when you talk about kind of the day in, day out, 24 hour up and down emotional roller coasters that fan bases go through, it's not exclusive to Toronto, number one. And number two, it's the very nature of a 162 game baseball season, right? I mean, you can stew over your favorite NFL team losing for six days until they get back out there the following Sunday. Hockey, basketball, you might have a few nights off in between games, but you live the emotions day in and day out in baseball. So that's number one, but specific to the team, what is the major difference between this team this year and this team last year? So far, it has been the underperformance for a variety of different reasons, of the starting pitching. Um, you can begin with injuries, uh, right? And we know that at times this year, they've had as many as three regular rotation pieces out of the lineup. Aaron Sanchez has consistently battled the blister issue, has essentially been a non-factor this year. Jay Happ missed, what, six weeks and is really just getting back into the groove of things now, has had a couple of consecutive starts that have been pretty good um, as we stand here and, and, and talk today. Marcus Stroman has struggled in his last two starts, but has generally been good this season. Marco Estrada's had a June that uh, makes him crave for amnesia. I mean, he's been dreadful his last four starts after a pretty good start to the year. Joe Biagini is a guy who's, who's trying to fill the void. And Francisco Liriano is, is like your buddy who's six beers deep on a Friday night playing darts at the pub. He's going to hit the bullseye one, one throw and then the next, he's not only going to miss the bullseye, he's going to miss the entire board and the protective cover that goes around the dartboard, and he's going to nail the wall. I mean, you just don't know what you're going to get with Francisco Lariano every fifth day. So, to me, uh, baseball is always and so much about pitching. I know that bullpens have increased in importance, and you got so many fireballers down in everybody's bullpens these days. But if you don't get the starting pitching that you need for whatever reason, injuries, underperformance, whatever the case may be, you're going to struggle. And I think if you look, Ari, at the nine times so far the Jays have been one game under 500, uh, they have gotten rotten starting pitching performances in almost all nine of the games that they played where they tried to get to the break-even point. And if you can't pitch, you're not going to win that was true 100 years ago in a different era. It was true 50 years ago. It's true today. It'll be true once you and I have left this planet. You can't pitch. You're not going to win. And um, I think the only thing that Jays fans can hold out hope for, aside from everybody returning to health and these blister problems potentially subsiding for Sanchez, mm -hmm. is if this rotation can get on a roll, um, you know, that could help to turn things because they are certainly capable of doing it. And I love the way you've coined that phrase of living the emotions for 162 games because the irony is not lost on me that there are almost 90 games left. So it's all about, I suppose, keeping things in perspective. But if you look at this, what you described as underperformance from certain players, every year that is to be, I suppose, expected that there'll be certain players who don't necessarily do what they're expected to do. And usually you hope that'll be balanced by the overperformance element, whether it's somebody like a Justin Smoke surprising everybody by 
you know, basically justifying the investment three times over and here we are in the middle of June, or whether it's someone stepping up in the bullpen and surprising you like Orion Tapero or Danny Barnes and suddenly you're getting infinite value. And that's another form of making wise decisions financially. But what do you say to fans who are concerned about players who've been committed where huge dollars have been committed to them and say they're making 16 or $20 million? And of course, you know I'm not choosing those numbers arbitrarily. <laughs> How do you address the dilemma that is a Troy Tillowitzki, for example, who, looking at the numbers quickly, 248 as a Blue Jay since arriving from Colorado, and this year in particular, the numbers are just gouty how poor they are in terms of his consistency. What are your expectations from him with these great 90 games remaining of living emotions up and down? Your timing's great uh, because I, I've touched on it a lot this week on, on my program on TSN 1050. I, I, Troy Tulowitzki has at best been a league average hitter, even by the advanced metrics since coming to Toronto. He is right now is not a league average hitter. He is far below a league average hitter. And one of the numbers I like to look at is weighted runs created plus, which factors in a lot of your traditional uh, batting numbers, whether that's, you know, average OBP uh, slugging percentage, your, your OPS is your on base plus your slugging, but there are also park adjusted factors in there. And so what you hear a lot of is, well, Troy Tulowitzki's not playing at, at Coors Field anymore. You know, the ball, Rogers Center is very much a, a, a hitter's park and a, and a home run uh, hitter's park. So, so let's not ignore that. But he's not in Denver anymore where they're a mile off the sea level and, and the ball carries and, and all that stuff. I don't buy that argument, though, because, again, weighted runs created plus adjusts for park factors. And Troy Tulowitzki had some years with the Colorado Rockies where, and you know, weighted runs created plus without boring it with the details, and I think you might already know this stat, Ari, the league average is 100. So it's, it's weighted toward a 100 average. Well, Tulowitzki had years where his weighted runs created plus in Denver was 160 and, and 140. So even with Coors Field factored in, this guy was an elite-level hitter. Uh, and that's just not the case anymore. And so you wonder if, if some of the injuries, and he is injury-prone, have begun to take their toll. He's a big man at 32 years old playing, playing shortstop. He's still a pretty good defender. Um, but you just wonder if maybe time is, is starting to tick on him. And I think, I think fans have to readjust their expectation of what Tulowitzki can be offensively. He certainly has to be better than this. But he's not going to be the guy he was in his heyday with the Rockies. The problem becomes he's making $20 million a year this year and for two more years after this. Then he's making $14 million in 2020. And then when you go to buy him out before the 2021 season, you've got to pay him $7 bucks just to go away. Um, the question I ask, though, is if two years ago you had a crystal ball and you could see two years into the future, which is to say to see into now. Would you make that trade for Troy Tulowitzki, knowing what was to come? And my argument would be, at this particular point, even given his, his, his average to sub-average offensive productivity, the answer to the question is yes, because when they made the deal, Jose Reyes couldn't play shortstop anymore, but wasn't willing to come off the position. Jose Reyes should not have been a leadoff hitter anymore, 
but was unwilling to budge from the one spot in the lineup. And it was clear that he had become a liability to the team. And the immediate upgrade defensively of Troy Tulowitzki at short did as much to change that 2015 season's fortunes as anything else Alex Anthopoulos did. And in two years with Tulowitzki around, they've made the playoffs. And to whatever extent you want to argue he's been a part of it, um, I'd say significantly, at least defensively, he's been a part of it. So I think you do make that trade. But you understand at the time of the trade that there may be some painful years toward the end where he's making a ton of money and he's eating up too much of your player's salary budget. But it's one thing to say that in 2015. Oh, yeah, we'll worry about that when the time comes. It's another thing when the time actually comes. And the, that, that time has arrived. And, and so now we're going to live through the days and the months and the years where, barring what I would say is the unforeseen, Tulowitzki turning things around to the point where he becomes an elite hitter again, I don't think that's going to happen. The Jays are going to be saddled with a guy who is aging, um, who will have his defensive skills just because of age, go through a decline and who will be paid a lot more money than what he is providing this team today. He's being paid more for resume and reputation than for what he's providing today. And so I've had people come at me and say, well, why don't you trade Why don't they trade him for prospects at the deadline? Well, if you're Mm -hmm. trading him for prospects at the deadline, you're also taking on approximately the same amount of money um, that probably is considered dead by the team you're doing the deal with right? Uh, nobody's taken on Troy Tulowitzki at a guaranteed number of, what, $81 million uh, left on his deal, or whatever that number is at this point. They're just not going to do it. So mm-hmm. you have to live with what you've got and, uh, and hope that he at least turns it around. He had a decent second half last year, and you have to hope that that's what's ahead for him this year. I'm speaking with Scott MacArthur from TSN 1050 Radio. Scott, that's a great analysis because it sounds to me like you're describing a certain expectation now of transition for Blue Jays fans, that sober second-thought reality that uh, a big, big contract with a player that could regress is now starting to come true before their very own eyes. And, and I'm wondering, what are your thoughts as to whether or not if this will define the transition of the Anthopolis to Shapiro era of baseball. I mean, I know you've been through many of them. You've seen the team go from from the the Gillick genesis, if you will, to the very dubious Ash era where there was a lot of controversy, the Ricciardi era, which many fans don't really like to talk about because there was, again, that kind of real frustration that came with some of the decisions made. It seemed like every year JP thought they could compete and he'd go out and do and make some unbelievable signings and trades, but then he wouldn't address certain issues. And then, of course, Alex, who then went ahead and went all in to give this team and this city a chance to see competitive baseball again. What do you think when you look at this transition now? How far away have the Shapiro-Atkins regime, have they distinguished themselves now from the Anthopolis era, or is this still like a weight holding them back? Because really the, the, the fingerprints of Alex are really all over this team. Well, that's, still, that's very true. I mean, I, if, if, if you could build a rocket ship that could stuff all my memories of the black and blue Blue Jays jersey era, um, you know, stuff it into a rocket and blast it to the sun, and I never have to think about it again. I'd, I'd, I'd be okay with that. I mean, that whole that whole era was 
was was regrettable to me in a lot of ways. They had they had some decent teams with Richardi and John Gibbons. I think they had an '86 win team in 2006. But the Yankees won, you know, a gazillion games, and the Red Sox were winning 95 as well. The Jays finished like 20 plus games back out of first, and they were a pretty decent team. Uh, but there weren't a lot of those years back then. You fast forward it to now, and, and you know, we were just talking about Troy Tulowitzki. I think that's one deal that Mark Shapiro wishes hadn't been made, and I, I think that that was imparted to Alex Anthopoulos when the two met quietly, not long after Shapiro was hired. Uh, but Alex was in win-now mode, and, and he was going to go for it. So now what you have is you have, I think, two parallel tracks, and it doesn't mean that the first track is going to work out. You have to trust that the second track will. The first track is try to contend with the veteran group in this very tightly confined window that it has. And I'm talking about the Bautistas and, and the Donaldsons and it's not Encarnacion anymore, but it's, it's Morales and, you know, uh, Tulowitzki uh, is, is a part of that Russell Martin. So you have that one parallel track and, and, and riding alongside it is the part that we don't see because we don't live in Lansing, Michigan. Or we don't live in Dunedin, Florida um, or Vancouver. Uh, well, if you might have some listeners living in Vancouver. If so, shoot me some notes on the short season guys and how they're doing. But my point being <laughs> is you've, 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 got, you've got kids coming up through the pipeline. The two most obvious names are, are sons of, of ex-big leaguers, uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette, Dante's kid. And, you know, Larry Walker fans will remember Dante Bichette because they shared an outfield with the Colorado Rockies in the mid to late 90s. And, and Dante could bop in the thin air of Denver. So you got those two kids, and then you've got the Sean Reed Foley's and, and maybe the Connor Greens and the TJ Zoiks, who was Shapiro and Atkins' first first-round pick. Last year, John Harris was Anthopoulos' last first-round pick of his era back in 2015. He's a right-handed arm. Um, the guys that they took this year. And so what you're hoping is by 2019, 2020, 2021 – the next wave comes through. So we're running two parallel tracks here. The first part is uncertain right now because they're a little bit under 500, but they're contending in spite of themselves because there's a lot of parity and mediocrity around the American League, and they're certainly within more than within striking distance of the, of the second wild card spot and within distance of the division crown too because you've got the Red Sox playing a little better the Yankees have fallen back to earth but you know the Jays are still you know, within six seven games so so with Shapiro and Atkins I'm going to judge them on the next wave and and I think that that's the best way to do it these guys have some time and should be afforded that time and look some real difficult decisions are coming here and people do not want to hear this uh but but i think there's a time where you're going to have to strongly consider what it is you do with josh donaldson um, because you know as we saw last year and donaldson's a bit of a different example because he is better but as you saw with some of the right-handed power in their 30s in last off season's market there was a real hesitancy to go long on term and dollar with anybody yeah absolutely. Um, edwin Encarnacion and jose bautista got caught up in that donaldson will be a free agent in the fall of 2018 and he'll be age 33 at that point because he was a late bloomer if 
you look at Donaldson, you say to yourself, all things being equal, including his health, and we know he's been bothered here by a bit of a knee thing in uh, his left knee, and he's got the calf stuff that, that's a consistent issue for him. Um, but where can you maximize your return for Josh Donaldson if you're not going to sign him? Do you do that this offseason with one full year available to the acquiring team, or do you do that around July 31st with a year and a half and two potential playoff runs available to the acquiring team. The Jays are in it right now in spite of themselves, as I said, so that makes it very difficult to deal him or to even consider dealing him. But if the right offer comes along, and I can't tell you what that is, but it, it, would, be, it would be major league-ready talent and some very high-end prospects that could fill three or four spots. I mean, this is, we're talking MVP, one of the very best positional players in the game. If that deal comes along, and it's a huge if, but if that deal comes along, you have to strongly consider it, and if you like it enough, you have to pull the trigger. Because Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins, and Josh could be the outlier, so I could end up wrong on this, but Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins do not strike me as guys who are going to be willing to give a 33-year-old free agent five, six years to take that player toward or to the age of 40. And so if that's not going to happen, because that's what Josh is going to be after, and in the $30 million a year range, I would think, if that's not going to happen, you have to determine when the best time is to move him to maximize your return. That's a, that's a fascinating question, fascinating possibilities by virtue of our appreciation, you and I, in the history of the city, of how they've handled franchises that have traded away fan favorites. Not just fan favorites, but ones that were close to either MVP caliber or elite players in the game. you got a baseball decision to make, but I'm well aware you got a business decision to make. Yeah, and two and a half million fans stepped up and bought tickets in advance of this season. I mean, there's a covenant there. There's an agreement there that we are going to work to contend. And Ross Atkins was on MLB Network Radio earlier this week and reiterated the point that they plan to be in acquiring mode buyers at the deadline. Now, that doesn't mean that they will be. Um, and anything anybody says publicly at this point, I just in one ear out the other. He is not going to wave the white towel on the season and say, well, I'm not sure. But he did follow up by saying, we plan to be in acquiring mode, but it is important for all organizations, including ours, to be, quote, agile. Well, what does agile mean? Agile means if we lose 15 of the next 18 games and fall the hell out of this, we're going to have to make some tough decisions. And so, so you, do have a, you do have a baseball decision to make, but you also have to respect the covenant that you've made with your fans or that your fans have made with you through their investment. And you would have, I'm sure, an ownership that would be concerned about television ratings and even being on the fringes of the wild card race, even though everybody knows you're not good enough in September, means people are watching. And, and that means money. Um, so, so it isn't strictly going to be a baseball decision. Um, but I certainly hope at the end of the day, the baseball side wins out on whatever they decide is best for this team. Because the Yankees are going to be real good very soon. Um, they already are in some respects with Judge and Sanchez. This division is only going to get harder again because Boston's a good team as well. Um, and, and Tampa Bay is always an ongoing thing with their pitching and are they good at, you know, they're, but they're a headache. So, so you want to you make sure 
if you can supplement the next wave of guys in 19, 20, 21, maybe you have to eat a mediocre to sub-mediocre season um, to bridge that gap if it means supplementing the upcoming kids with even more talent in order to carry you well into the future for a a number of years. And and we know what a delicate, delicate process that is. It's going to be, it's going to test what this franchise is capable of doing and whether they have a real resourceful, creative management of how the next one to two years will ultimately look. And of course the, the real challenge is if they continue to tread water hovering at or around 500, that will be the true test for this regime to step up and say, we know we've got to bridge the gap before we can start entertaining and winning with the Bobichettes and the Vlad Guerrero Juniors and the Rowdy Telez and all the great pitching resources and the cavalry that's on the way. But as you mentioned, so succinctly, it could come down to having to literally eat a season, which we know in this market is not a good idea considering the meritocratic nature of baseball, right? I mean, we know... Well, there's all, but there's also, also there's one team. There's one team in Toronto that can do the rebuild and not that's suffer it. at the gate, and that's the Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, we talked about it with what do you do with Kyle Lowry, and if, and if, and if you move on from him, well, then what do you do with DeRozan? And... and and, and if the Raptors go into – and this is, it doesn't sound like it's going to happen, but if they were to have gone into rebuild mode, it's, it, the tickets may be bought, but it's back to 14,000 actual butts and seats. Uh, it's back to uh, 341 people and, and members of the Raptors' families uh, watching on TV. You know, there's only one team in this market that, that can do the rebuild and maintain a level of interest, and that's, that's the Maple Leafs. Um, that's you know, and that's just the truth of it. It, it really is, uh, for better and for worse, when it comes to the city of Toronto. Um, I want to ask you one more question before we let you go uh, today, Scott. Um, once upon a time, this team, this Blue Jays team, had the best pitcher in baseball. And we all know what that brought us in terms of satisfaction as fans, watching him come out every five days. He's being inducted into the Canadian Hall of Fame tomorrow, along with, ironically enough, Vladimir Guerrero, because we've been talking about his son for the past few days. Um, at no end whatsoever, which I enjoyed, by the way. My last time is watching YouTube videos of Vlad Guerrero Jr. hitting home hmm. runs and then thinking good thoughts. Can you give me your thoughts, some words maybe, about Roy Halladay and, and what he means to you as someone who was at one one point in the game not just the greatest, but he was ours as Toronto Blue Jays fans? Yeah, and I, I, think, I think it's always difficult um, – to recognize, I, oh, actually, let me rephrase that. I think sometimes we, and I certainly include myself in this, we don't always, we recognize it, but we don't always appreciate true greatness when it's before our eyes. And I use LeBron James as an example on my show. But whether you like him or hate him, and Roy is not, Roy was never polarizing. I mean, you know, there was never love or hate with Roy. It was all love, and there was widespread respect around baseball. But so my point about LeBron, it's love him or hate him or, you know, whatever you think of the decision or whatever may come, you end up in L.A. Like, that is, you're, you're living his greatness before your eyes. We revere Michael Jordan now in our memories. We revere uh, Joe Montana in our memories. We should be appreciating Tom Brady's greatness. Roy Halladay was greatness pitching on, for the most part, mediocre Blue Jays teams. And and it's too bad because I would have loved to have seen him pitch in the playoffs for this team. 
Um, and I grew up, I was you know, born in, in June of 79. So, you know, that gives you perspective on, on, on my age. So I, I came to start following the Blue Jays in the mid eighties and that's when they started making the playoffs. That's why 1994 was so stunning for me because I'd never seen a not very good Blue Jays team in, in my life. And if, if, you were to ask me who's the one player in any sport that if you could watch him perform at his peak for one day or for one more game, um, my answer would be Dave Steed. And I think Roy Halladay is the answer to that question for a lot of kids um, or adults now of the generation that, that followed mine. Roy Halladay at his peak was sheer brilliance. And this is a guy who almost threw a no-hitter in September of 1998. Bobby Higginson of the Detroit Tigers, a left-handed hitter, snuck a home run over the left field wall in the top of the ninth inning. And if you go back and you watch that game, look at Roy Halladay's delivery. Almost completely over the top. Like an over-the-top delivery. Mm. And then it all fell apart for him. And he went back to single-A Dunedin and worked with the late Mel Queen, who we know because he was a, the pitching coach for the Blue Jays for, for, for a period of time. But he was back as a kind of a roving instructor at, at, at that juncture in 2000 and 2001. And Roy Halladay went down and worked with Mel Queen, who effectively rebuilt him, changed his arm slot, changed his delivery. And Halladay came up and bought, in 2002. He won the Cy Young in 2003, would have won some more Cy Youngs but had some unfortunate injuries, took that line drive off the shin and it cost him half a year. And he was brilliant. You know, this guy was the cream of the crop. And then, you know, he throws the no hitter in the playoffs and, and, and all that stuff. It, um, you know, we were, we were fortunate to watch him uh, pitch. And I think he will join Roberto Elamar in the hall of fame as one of only two Blue Jays to have the Blue Jays cap in Cooperstown. And, of course, Pat Gillick, but he was an executive. So I, I think Roy Halladay, uh, in, not, in the not-too-distant future, once eligible, would become the third Blue Jay in the Hall of Fame. His name is Scott MacArthur. He just took me down memory lane. And with the exception of the no-hitter that was lost in the ninth to Higginson, I can honestly <laughs> say that you just gave my day. Scott, thank you for joining us. All right, it was great. Let's uh, do it again very soon. Thank you. So that was some really great insights and analysis from, from Scott. But now I want to kind of take a look at what the Blue Jays are grappling with over the next few days. And I can think of no one better to do that. The site expert of Jays Journal. He's the senior writer at jaysjournal.com, Chris Henderson. Chris, how are you tonight? I'm always doing well when I'm chatting with you, my friend. Wow. Well, listen... I don't know if I'm doing that well because I was just talking with Scott MacArthur and we were talking about the Blue Jays' challenges getting back to 500 and how the fans should feel about the next few days. What are your thoughts about this upcoming Kansas City series? Will we finally get back to 500 before coming back for a long homestand? Well, you know, after splitting the series with the Rangers, um, which was okay, I mean, uh, you would have wanted to see them win that one, but... I think that just puts some, a lot more emphasis on this series. It's it's very important that the Blue Jays end up coming away with a few wins in this 
in the next few days here against Kansas City because, as we've talked about, they've got uh, some significant AL East opponents coming up. And so to be riding some momentum going into the, the series, the following series afterward, I think is just as important as this upcoming one. Momentum is so valuable in baseball because we know it's a grueling 162-game season and we have over 90 left. So the very fact that I'm even trying to philosophize what that means in the context of the Blue Jays, I think it warrants a discussion because of how inconsistent they've been. And you've got an article out right now on the jaysjournal.com website, which is called Blue Jays, Outing Length and Issue for the Rotation. What are, you, what are you writing about? What do you want fans to be aware of when it comes to this? How serious was the mediocre pitching that we witnessed in the Texas series a factor in the way that people are now looking at this team? Well, you know, it's it's important because, uh, you know, the statistic to what uh, kind of spurred me to write that article, I saw a tweet from Gregor Chisholm earlier on and uh, pointed out that last during last season there was only 13 starts that the rotation failed to go five innings or more. And already this season we've had 21 starts um, where they failed to make it past the fifth inning. Now, obviously, that's a, last year we had a case of, uh, you know, they only used seven starters throughout the entire season. They had their main the main guys, R.A. Dickey was a part of the equation, and then of course Liriano joined the rotation when he was when he was brought over at the deadline, and then Drew Hutchinson made a couple spot starts, and that was it. And uh, this year we've seen starts from Matt Latos and Mike Bolsinger and Casey Lawrence and uh, Joe Biagini's been moved into the rotation. And so I mean it's been a it's been a trying year for the rotation, but you know seeing that stat and looking at things, it maybe gives the bullpen even more credit for what they've accomplished this year, especially considering the the performances that we've seen from guys that we didn't necessarily expect the Danny Barneses and the Ryan Tapera's to flourish the way they have. And uh, given the circumstances that they've been facing as a bullpen unit, it's uh, it's all that much more impressive. And uh, it's a serious issue. I think the, it's something that they're going to have to be aware of. I mean, they've got the guys, you know, you're not going to have Marcus Stroman failing to go five innings very often. And hopefully uh, Marco Estrada can get things figured out. But uh, it's definitely wearing on the bullpen. And as the season, you know, as the season presses on, that's going to be a more and more significant factor. So we're talking about J-Hap and Marco Estrada and Francisco Liriano, who are all pitching this series, and I, I really don't know how to feel about that. How should I feel about that? I mean, that could easily bottom out very quickly, and three starters who've been struggling for, for the first two months of the season, they could continue to do so. Um, how does Kansas City compare to Texas in terms of quality opposition? Where do you rank relative to Texas, in your opinion, in the American League Central? I kind of look at both of them in a similar light. You know, uh, they're both teams that I expected to be contenders this season. They both uh, underperform, much like the Blue Jays have. So I think it's a, you know, it's it's an important uh, it's an important series to, you know, when you have when you have teams that are struggling the way that what they have, you have to beat up on them, or you have to at least win the series if you want to be a serious contender. And uh, you know, I was disappointed in the performance yesterday um, in the final game of the Rangers series. But, uh, you know, overall, the split is, uh, is what I would characterize as okay. But as I was saying earlier, they really, they've really got to take this next series and, and build some of the momentum. As we, you know, talking about momentum earlier on, we saw what they accomplished in 2015 and uh, when they just went on that incredible streak. And I don't think they need to necessarily do that, but um, they, they definitely need to get things going uh, to have a more consistent effort if they're going to get beyond 500. I guess that's we're still talking about step one, get to 500. Speaking with Chris Henderson, from Jay's Journal. He is the site expert and senior writer. Chris, how do fans feel about Kendris Morales coming back to Kauffman Stadium and being reminded 
of those still raw and fresh memories of what happened in 2015. Do you look at the Kansas City Royals and and say to yourself, this was the team that we really should have beaten in 2015 to capture uh, what was hopefully a chance at the World Series. How do you reconcile the memories of Kansas City and what went on in 2015 with this Kansas City Royals team? Granted, it looks very different, but it still has some very familiar names that were responsible for prevailing over the Jays back in in that memorable run. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head. It was an opportunity for... You know, Kansas City wasn't terribly experienced uh, in that sort of vein either at that point. And I felt it was a great matchup for us at the time. And it was such a frustrating series because, you know, as we've talked about throughout the year, um, you know, the Blue Jays in that particular series, it seemed like they were living and dying by the uh, long ball. When you have a shutdown bullpen like the Royals did in 2015, um, you know, it just wasn't an, it wasn't a formula that was going to end well for us. And it didn't. And, uh, you know, as much as I love watching, uh, as much as I love watching the Jays beat up on the Rangers, I love watching them beat up on anybody who's taken something from them. So I really hope that uh, <laughs> they can send a message to Kansas City and send them further down the ranks and uh, thank them in a not so nice way for a couple of years ago. Well, and, and you and I know there are many ways to send a message, and certainly one of the ways is to play good, solid, fundamental baseball, and that didn't happen yesterday. And I, of course, am talking about, I could probably talk about several plays with you, but the one that stands out that really irritated many fans and caused a bit of a commotion on Twitter was the Jose Bautista trying to steal third base with two outs in a game that the team was down by three, um, thereby Mm -hmm. kind of ignoring any kind of classic baseball digests perspective of the do's and don'ts, you know, the unwritten rules in baseball. Should that be a concern for fans that, Maybe there are certain players on this team, and maybe one of the reasons why they can't back can't get back to 500 is because there are certain players who just aren't willing to play a fundamental, solid team game. What are your thoughts about that? Well, it seems like yeah, it's amazing how many of these issues that we're talking about, uh, you know, a couple times a week, uh, and you know, you and I discussed this I think less than a week ago that the Blue Jays are just lacking stupid fundamental mistakes. They're not lacking stupid mistakes. They've got plenty of them. But they're lacking just the common sense approach to certain things. And, you know, with all due respect, I understand Batista was likely just trying to make something happen. And, you know, he's trying to motivate the team or whatever it was. But he shouldn't be stealing third base in any circumstance, let alone in with two outs and in a game where there's, you know, he's in scoring position and that run was in crucial. You know, I wouldn't, I don't want Jose Batista attempting to steal third ever. So for the fact that he did that then was just, one of those times where I pull out the few remaining hairs I have in my head. He is Chris Henderson, and by the time we finish the show, there's a good chance he'll be completely bald. Chris, I want to thank you for joining <laughs> the show. I look forward to seeing you on our, uh, having you on our round table in a couple of days, and, and certainly appreciate your insight and, and contribution to all things Blue Jays on this uh, Friday evening. Have a fantastic night. Always my pleasure, Ari. Thank you again for having me on. I look forward to the weekend. Sometimes in life, you end up saving the best for last. And my next guest is a fine example of just that. He's an acclaimed sportscaster, a documentarian, the co-host of the No Fun Intended podcast, and, of course, the creator of the Hebsey Awards. I am, of course, talking about one of my favorite sports journalists, Mark Hepsher. Mark, thanks for coming on the show tonight. Ari, a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Mark, I've been, ta- I've been speaking tonight themes related to transition 
uh, and change with the Toronto Blue Jays and, and understanding the value of foresight. And I'm glad to have you on because I want to ask you your opinion, your thoughts on the baseball culture in the city and how it changed so profoundly after, of course, September 2015 because the atmosphere is different and the excitement associated with it, both positive and negative, is something that anyone can appreciate who lives in Canada. What are your thoughts about the baseball culture? How do you regard it today? Yeah, I really, I haven't given much thought to like um, what it was like five years ago, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, when they first won a championship in uh, 85, for example, right? I'll, I'll say this, that the hardcore baseball fan can't stand the bandwagon jumper. There's no patience for the bandwagon jumper the one who jumped into the fray in uh, 2015 when they made the playoffs for the first time in, what was it, 23 years or whatever the number was. So there's sort of a line of demarcation there, the Johnny-come-latelys. But that's true in any sport or, or with anything that just gains popularity. And winning, winning does that, so you, you can't begrudge. But... You know, I like it. I, I hearken back to when the Jays first began in 1977. That's a long time ago. And there's a lot. And for people who weren't around then, thinking about a team detached from a, an expansion draft, and then eight years later is the American League East champions beating the Yankees in Boston, Baltimore, uh, was quite an accomplishment. You know, you have to look at that blueprint to start with that team. that's miserable the first three, four years horrible anybody that stuck through the team in those years was was what i consider to be a die hard fan you go through ups and downs and mostly downs like that franchise did it's got it's tough but as time went on um i think there were just more options for people that were only that were blue jay fans there were other sports there's soccer there's other things to do um uh, and and, um, i I just think with and, and just more things to do I think it was a tougher sell for the Blue Jays uh, throughout those lean years in the, uh, you know, the late 90s and through the early 2000s. So the culture has changed in the way that everybody loves a winner. And nowadays it's easy to spot a Blue Jay fan because of all the paraphernalia and the merchandising that the club has done. Uh, people who may not have ever seen a game like the Blue Jay logo. So it's almost as if the Blue Jays are ubiquitous, but way more so when they're winning, when they're the talk of the town. Mm-hmm. So that's the culture. Young, old, uh, doesn't matter your background. That's what a city, that's what will happen in a city when everybody's kind of on the same, you know, they got somebody to root for. Uh, it's almost as if on a daily basis you're going, hey, where, when are the Jays playing tonight? Or who, who, who's pitching? Uh, they're in your consciousness, right? So, but, but as a diehard fan, I kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are you going to be in September if they're, Ten and a half games out of first place. Mm-hmm. Then where are you going to be? Right? Where are you going to be in the ninth inning of a blowout? Have you left already? You moved on to something else? Or are you still there? Are you still dissecting in you know in the ninth inning with uh, you know with a, a down seven runs? Are you still looking and saying, well, that was a good performance. That was a good performance. Are you that diehard, or are you just sort of yeah? If they're winning, I'll watch, and if they're not winning, I'll do something else. Now, you've covered this team, you've watched this team, you've engaged members of this team in in a very long career in sports journalism. 
did it surprise you to see that this recent surge that changed the the atmosphere to one of an expectation of virtually winning all of the time, packing out the Rogers Center with with 45,000 plus, can that not be seen as a huge disservice when you don't end up necessarily with what could be a team that can't win at all? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think look, you're you're looking out for what's best for the franchise. As a fan, you want to win every game. You want every guy to hit at every at bat. You want every pitcher to strike. I mean, but it's, that's not a Toronto thing. That's the way it is in life. Go to any city, all right, where a team has tasted uh, a championship season or the playoffs or where, you know whatever their successes were, and naturally. Your next step is closer to a championship. The Jays have got to make it to a World Series. They've got to win the ALCS. Then they can, you know, then think about winning World Champions. But re- regression just doesn't work. Uh, and, and that's a you know, risk you have to take. You can tell whatever stories you want to tell, but if Troy Tulowitzki isn't hitting his weight, you know, mm. he could be the greatest manager in the world. It's not going to make any difference at all. But I think, you know, I just think this whole frenzy, surrounding every game in baseball uh, is ludicrous. Football is a different story. That's, you know, that's 16 weeks. That's once a week, you know, uh, absorb the game, Monday morning quarterback, Tuesday, you got a little bit more. Wednesday, you're looking for forward to the follow the upcoming opponents and how are the injuries. So with baseball, the fact that it's every day, you've got, I mean, sometimes I just want to smack people. Go, Come on. If I told you at the beginning of the year, the Jays are going to lose at least 60 games. At least 60 games. How would you like those 60 losses to be? Go ahead and tell me. Would you like a, a blown save in the ninth? Would you like eight runs mm-hmm. against the starter in the first? Because you're going to get, among 60, 70 losses a season, you're going to get all kinds. So if you're not prepared for that, get out of my face. You know, I don't like it, but when they lose, I go, oh, okay, well, they lost. But at this particular stage, and the, the fact that they can't make it to 500, who, who said that once you get to 500, now, now you're okay? Where did that come from? I can show you lots of teams that got to 500 and then lost seven out of eight. <laughs> they never sniffed it again. So this nonsense about breaking over the 500 mark in, in June, you know, shows how inexperienced you are as a baseball follower. And how really social media is for you. You go ahead and bitch with all the other people who have no patience on social media. The real fans understand that this is part of the game. So deal with it and don't complain about it every 35 seconds. On every at-bat, every pitch. It's, you know, if you want to follow that, you drive yourself crazy. That's it indeed. I'm speaking with Mark Hebsher. He's a sportscaster, a documentarian, and his podcast is the No Fun Intended Show. Mark, I want to ask you from a, from a journalist perspective, what is your opinion over the years of how journalists have covered the Blue Jays? And the reason I'm asking you this is because once upon a time in the city, um, we, we had a certain pedigree or level of experience and, and literary prowess from journalists who covered the team who were simply first-rate, high-caliber journalists. And, of course, I'm talking about um, the Perkins of the world or the Elliots of the world. Now we have a new generation that's replaced them. What are your thoughts about that? Do you feel that the team is being covered fairly in the way it should, or do you feel that maybe because we live in a high-technology era, it's created a lot of 
armchair critics who can weigh in in a way that doesn't necessarily seem fair or may even be accurate. Once again, you have to determine what's a journalist and what's uh, and what's not. And uh, the essence of journalism is you want to tell the story. You want to tell it uh, so that it's balanced. You want to talk to as many people, uh, independent sources, witnesses, observers, mm-hmm. to get a, a fair handle on what the story is all about. And that's what a good journalist does. You know, baseball, following a baseball team every day, sometimes there's not a lot of journalism out there to be had. You know what I mean? But the most difficult thing, and listen carefully because this is very important. It used to be that the journalist was the one who would chronicle what went on. So you could tell people who weren't there to witness it themselves, which was virtually everybody. The newspaper writer was in the stands with 10,000 other people. Everybody else might have listened to it on the radio, might not have. Might have seen it on TV if the game was televised, might not have. But back in the day, that was rare. Now, everybody can see what happened. They can see it on their device. It's simple. So now, they don't need the journalist or the reporter to tell them what they saw. It makes the job much more difficult for today's reporter, journalist, person covering the beat, whatever you want to call that person, much more difficult. I mean, if I'm a player, what do I need to stand in front of a journalist to be quoted? I can just tweet out what my quote is. I mean, really, I can do that. I can, here's my statement. I screwed up. I should have not swung at that third strike. Thank you very much. So now the job of a journalist, the job of a reporter, becomes so much more um, you're, you're, you're hamstrung. There's nothing you can do. You've got to come up with stuff that might not be worth a story in order to fill in. You're going to have to start throwing statistics all over the place. It might not make a story, but they're going to support some type of stand that you're taking about something. So this is where we get into the nonsense of, for example, no player in his first 33 major league games has had a higher slugging percentage than Aaron Judge. It's about the most meaningless stat you can have, but it's something that people have to come up with. They have to come up with because every story about Aaron Judge has been told and retold. And if it hasn't been told by a journalist, it's been told by somebody on Twitter or someone that was a friend of his or, or whatever. There's not much else to tell. So now you have to break down statistics into the most ridiculous. It used to be by tens, by twenties, by increments of five, whatever it was. But now when I hear in, in, in your first 13 games, where did 13 come from? When all of a sudden was that a significant number in a 162-game right. season? So yeah, this, right. is what, this is what is passing as, I don't want to say journalism, but this is what's passing as baseball reporting, for example. These statistics, which anyone can pick out of anywhere if they work hard enough, these become part of your, you know, Exhibit A, this statistic. Now, is that reporting valid? I mean, are you quoting this stat? Are you quoting a similar statistic that someone else is using? Or is this happen to be your statistic of choice? And that could be on base percentage. That could be uh, balls in play, batting average of balls in play. You know, that could be um, WRC plus. Uh, come on. So the game has become more complicated with this, and that means reporting. 
has become much more difficult and complicated because what does your audience want? They want the story. They've already seen the highlight. What do they want? What information can you give them that they can't glean themselves? Mm. It's hard nowadays to come up with stuff. Yeah. It's really hard. I don't envy these guys or girls. Yeah. Definitely. Mark, before we uh, end the show tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to maybe tell some of my listeners and followers about what you're up to and how they can get in touch with you and learn more about the things that you're going to be offering on the horizon. Oh, uh, well, the podcast you mentioned, is called No Fun Intended. It's with myself mm-hmm. and Liz West. Uh, we drop two, two podcasts a week. Got some uh, great guests coming up. Jerry Howarth is going to join us uh, in the next week or so. Uh, Rob Baker, the bass player for the Tragically Hip, is going to be a guest. And we've got some other ones lined up as well. And um, I'm also, a, you mentioned the documentary, and I just finished the documentary about the first Canadian to win uh, uh, an Olympic championship. His name was George Washington Orton. And I just finished a documentary on him. I knew nothing about the fellow. Fascinating life. It's called uh, The American Imposter. I look for it soon. And you can get in touch with me. I'm on uh, Facebook, Mark Hepsher, uh, on Twitter, on Hebsy Man, H-E-B-S-Y, Man, and uh, Instagram, all that kind of stuff there. And I'm floating around. I'm always, uh, I've got my eye on stuff. So there you go. You can find it. It's easy these days. Brilliant. His name is Mark Hepsher, and he's one of my favorite people. Have a great time.